Ignite your curiosity with Austin next. We're watching Austin transform from a thriving ecosystem into a global superstar. With our host, Jason Scharf, we aspire to better comprehend the true nature of innovation. Together, we will uncover what makes a successful ecosystem and navigate the technologies shaping our future. Now let's dive into what's next. Today, we continue our visit to San Antonio, working to discover the unique innovation ecosystem here in the Alamo City. And no discussion would be complete without talking about the investors here. Juan Sebastian Garzon serves as Executive Director for Alamo Angels and Programs Manager for Velocity Texas. In these roles, Sebastian supports early-stage companies, providing them access to funding and resources to accelerate their growth. Sebastian is also an adjunct faculty member at Trinity University, teaching their student-managed venture course fund. He also owns Passport to Fluency, a company that helps people improve on their Spanish skills. Sebastian, welcome to Austin Next. Jason, thank you for having me. All right, so let's start off with Alamo Angels. That group has the most unique formation I've ever experienced with any angel group. Can you walk me through how the group came together and its different structure? Absolutely. So Alamo Angels actually got started in 2016 under the name of the San Antonio Angel Network. The story goes there, I mean, you guys know that in San Antonio, we've got a big company that, that made it big, Rackspace. And so a lot of those initial rackers uh, from that first generation, they... So, so it's Delionaires and Rackers, got for, it. <laughs> there you go, yeah. They call themselves Rackers and they, they got out, they got some resources and they kind of wanted to contribute towards the community. Uh, I think at the beginning it was more in terms of how do we support the tech developments that are happening in San Antonio. So it was very specific to tech and very specific to San Antonio. And as time has gone by, we've opened up our borders, if you want to look at that that way, to not just the geographical uh, specificity of San Antonio, but also looking at all across the U.S., as well as not just tech companies, but generally, you know, like any any type of of company that we can we can find. So, since we're relatively new to the to the area, when was the Rackspace exit? You caught me on that one, Jason. I don't recall the year that that happened. Okay, I mean, is it the last ten years? Last twenty years? Yeah, I mean, it must have been about the last ten years. Last ten the years. Past okay, so, so it's it's still a relatively new event mm -hmm. versus a like. The, uh, the Probably Dell longer IPO. than that, actually. I mean, it, 10 years nowadays with the pandemic, I kind of lost track of time, but it's it's been anywhere, it's probably about 15 years or so. Okay, so they, they, they exit, they wanted to be involved. So from a timing perspective, was there was there an angel group that was around that then San Antonio Angel kind of replaced, or is it really just individuals running around Not writing that checks? I'm aware of. Uh, it was just those individuals that were kind of investing on these early stage companies, but there was nothing formal or not an actual group that they can belong to. So what was the impetus for then the creation of the group? Uh, like I said, I think it was one of those things that they knew that companies that start from scratch can make it big. And it's just one of those things that we kind of want to give back. That's kind of what they were telling themselves. And let's now find ways in which we can uh, put some of those resources that we now have into contributing to, towards this ecosystem. So then talk to me about the relationship between Alamo, Velocity, and then the Texas Research Foundation yeah. and how all of that works. Jason, that was a game changer for Alamo Angels specifically because the TRTF, it's a foundation that has been around San Antonio for over 35 years now. So they've been champions of economic development for the city of San Antonio for 36 years, I think, to be exact. Always focused on the life sciences and they wanted to contribute towards this entrepreneurial ecosystem. 
but it was not until 2020 that this opportunity came about and Alamo Angels basically was looking for a home and TRTF was willing uh, and obviously able to, to bring him under their wing and integrate him into their family of businesses. And so that's kind of how it happened. It was July 2020 when that happened. That's also when I came on board. And the beauty of this is if you were to look around the nation, you will quickly realize that most angel investment networks are standalone entities. Right. And as such, they run with, with limited resources. And again, not to say that we have unlimited resources, but I can tell you, you know, we there are certain things that we don't necessarily have to worry about, like marketing or accounting. Those are shared resources that we can tap into because we belong to that bigger foundation. Well, one of the things I think is interesting is seeing somebody like yourself in a, you know, Alamo Angels is relatively small compared to some of the larger angel organizations in Texas or like where we came from in, in California. But having a dedicated executive director who is focused on everything from building the brand, getting the events going to the actual investment process itself, I think that's something that is much more seen at larger and more mature uh, angel networks. And I think that's something that provides you guys an interesting opportunity to almost leapfrog some other stages of growth. You know, Jason, before I came here, I had an opportunity to be a part of the creation of an angel network from scratch, which is the South Coast Angel Network down in Corpus Christi. From there, when we were doing that, the folks down at the Rio Grande Valley wanted to do something similar to what we were doing. And so long story short, directly, uh, I was directly involved with SCAN with the creation of the South Coast Angel Network and indirectly with the Rio Grande Valley Angel Network just because they used to come up to Corpus Christi and pick our brains on how we had done it. And I can tell you that the main differentiator from what I've seen in my experience with these angel networks and what I am experiencing now with Alamo Angels is what you've just shared. Most of these places have a part-time executive director uh, or someone that's kind of doing it on the side or just dedicating a percentage of their time towards the success of such network. For us is we knew when we evaluated this as an opportunity, we knew that if we were to do it, we definitely needed to put the resources into it and take that to the next level. I don't know what would have happened if if TRTF did not step in and, and you know uh, integrate Alamo Angels into our family of businesses. But what I do know is once that happened and we put the resources behind this, I think that that was a big game changer for us as an organization and for San Antonio as a community in general. You know, an ecosystem is comprised of many different parts and access to capital is one of them. And having an established and uh, active angel network, it's a very important element within that ecosystem. And so I think that we're trying to fulfill that. I know that there is room for improvement, just like with any other organization, but having those resources and putting the time and, and the effort towards making sure that this is successful, I think it's it's a game changer. So walk me through the the Alamo Angels operating model. What's your guys' thesis, check sizes, sector? What are you looking for? So one big differentiator, and, and I, I have to highlight this because a lot of times people think of us as Velocity or TRTF, which are very highly focused on life sciences, right? TRTF, it's our parent entity. Velocity, it's our sister organization. So we all operate very independently. And the biggest uh, difference among, among each other is particularly between Velocity and Alamo Angels, we are industry agnostic. So we are investing in companies regardless of the industry where they are coming from. And that is not the case with TRTF or, or, or Velocity, which are much more focused within the life sciences. So that's one. 
we've invested so far, you know, our smallest investment is typically $25,000. And the highest one that we've done, it's about $300,000 out of Austin, actually, a company from Austin. Average investment, the last time we ran the numbers, it was about 100000 I will say that that's probably about 125000 or so now. And numbers keep, keep uh, growing just because our membership also keeps growing. So we've got more accredited investors that belong to this network. And with that, we now have access to, to a variety of different pockets. And when we put in front of these investors an opportunity that is uh, fruitful for them, then hopefully they'll, they'll, they'll write them a check. How big is the group at this point? As of right now, we've got 62 uh, members of Alamo Angels. And what does the typical angel look like? Are they pulling a bunch of uh, rackers? Or is it uh, other, is it tend to be what I've heard a lot of in this space? It's obviously oil and gas and real estate and um, you know wealth. What, what does they look like? It's a very diverse uh, network nowadays. It used to be the case, like, like we were saying in the past, when the rackers kind of started this deal, it was more people from the technology arena coming together. That is no longer the case. We've got people still from technology. We've got people that are in cybersecurity, particularly uh, like CISOs, Chief Information Security Officers. There is quite a few of them. Uh, we've got uh, people within the medical industry, CEOs of medical device companies, those type of, those type of, and, and that's very representative of this community as well, right? So we've got quite a few individuals, high net worth individuals that work within this industry, cybersecurity, uh, life sciences, specifically medical devices, and, and there's quite a few of those that belong to the network. We also have uh, retired executives, and so they actively participate on these. Some some people uh, within the legal field, we also have some attorneys, and we got a lot of people that come from the real estate arena as well. And so they are active investors within the real estate industry and kind of diversifying their portfolio by investing on early stage companies when they come to Alamo Angels. So... What do you see as a lot of the primary motivation for a lot of the angels coming in? And, and I ask that because the difference I've seen between more mature and active and getting better deals, and I'd say less mature, is the rationale. The, there are the angels that treat it almost as philanthropy. Yeah. I want to help the community and that I think tend to be a little less picky. You're not necessarily um, doing the due diligence or even being quote unquote smart money. And then there are those that are in it as an investment vehicle, wanting to catalyze this innovation. Some of them are, uh, you know, are uh, just risk seekers. I will say that I was um, a part of an angel group. We have a Slack channel. There is a, uh, you know, there's a public investing. And as someone who invests in early stage company, I think I'm pretty, I'm okay with risk. Yep. And uh, some of the, the conversations on this are about naked shorts on uh, public companies. I'm like, but not that kind of risk. Like that's not. The kind, I'm not willing to go for that. So it's, yeah. it's an interesting kind of gram. So where where do you see kind of the motivation coming? What what is it that's driving um, the Alamo Angel uh, investors? You know, I I think uh, it's probably an 80 20. 20 percent will be more those that don't necessarily pay attention much attention to the due diligence process. A lot of times they are connected to this investment through an emotional type of a standpoint, whether it's giving back to the community or because. They, uh, you know, one of our investors, as an example, there is a company that we've invested on that developed um, prosthetic, prosthetic. I always have issues uh, saying that the word like a prosthetic hand, prosthetic hand. Yep. within that investor's family history, somebody had the need to use something like that. And so obviously that emotional aspect came into play when he made that investment. But I will say that maybe about 20% of them are more like, let's give back to the community. And obviously they have the resources to do so. 
of uh, recognizing fully that this is a risky asset class, but also knowing that it's part of the ecosystem and just supporting those companies. Those tend to be the ones that have more of an investment thesis specifically focused on local companies from San Antonio. The other 80%, I would say, is more, you know, I, I kind of want to be on, on here because I want to diversify my, por my portfolio. And they obviously fully recognize that it's still a risky investment, but also know that if they play the, their cards well, they'll eventually get a return. And so I would say that's probably a good, a good split. Do you see a lot of activity post-check, especially you said like the 20% that's more of the investment thesis, so I can see that group wanting to be sitting on boards, being advisors. Is that what you're seeing or is it broader than that? I think that's that's kind of what we're looking at. Not everyone wants to be actively participating after making an investment. There is there is a handful of people that actually want and they want to serve on the role of an advisor, as an example, or a mentor. You know, I give you two examples. The most recent investment we've done was um, with a company out of all places from Monterrey, Mexico. And one of our, there is 11 of us that came together to invest on that company. And one of the investors, he wanted to play an active role within the company and serve as an advisor. So that, that was kind of part of the arrangement that we had with the company as we made that investment. Uh, in the past, I think it was 2020, we had a company that came to us and then four or five months after, they got selected to go to Shark Tank. And one of the investors that participated on that investment opportunity, he actually uh, offered to provide him um, coaching for their pitch. And so he kind of helped them get towards uh, up until when the TV people take over, right? Right. Uh, but he he helped with that, and so you it's not uncommon to find some of those people that are willing and able to to contribute towards you know making that that those companies better. Yeah, I mean it's one of the the positives that you reach scale, right? Not only do you get more capital, but you get more diversification of skill sets that they can apply, and more people that are interested. Some people just want, as you said, to diversify and like make my money grow. Talk to us about some of the successes so far. I mean, obviously, it's still relatively early in the in the process, but what are you guys seeing? Yeah, very early. And and to give context, um, it, it does take some time before you see a return, obviously, and that's highly dependent a lot of times on the industry. It's not the same to you know invest on a tech company that will give you a return five years down the road, as an example, or a medical device that will give you a return 10 years down the road. And so keeping that in mind and also knowing while San Antonio Angel Network was established in 2016, it was not until 2018 when we started at the time or the group started actively investing in companies. And so if you do the math, we're, we're approaching our six, five, six year mark. And so as of right now, we are seeing some development, but not quite uh, exits. We've just experienced one, uh, a local company here from San Antonio a success story, if you ask me, for the ecosystem, just because they had so many touch points with different players. And so this is a company called Parlevel. They went through Geekdom, which is another another player within the, the ecosystem here. They got investments from not just Alamo Angels, but even TRTF. Even prior to us having that formal relationship, TRTF and Alamo Angels, they invested on them. I believe the Geekdom Fund also had invested on that. So there's quite a few players within the ecosystem that had something to do with that company. And they just uh, had an exit, uh, what, two months ago? So that's that's probably the one that I would say is the most tangible. Now, we keep track of what happens within our portfolio. And there is another one that also happens to be local, that as of right now, if they were to sell, they would provide us with a 56x return. So that's Not kind bad. of the, the preliminary multiple that we've got on that one. Again, the, the, the key question there is the if, right? If they were to sell. 
But knowing that we've been keeping track of this company and their progress, we believe that they, they will achieve a pretty good exit fairly soon. I kind of want to take it up a level. The pandemic has done all kinds of things in terms of accelerating investment and changing the way that investment in early stage company happens. What have you guys seen in terms of the, the San Antonio capital scene? Now you started investing in 2018, two years later came the pandemic. We're now three years after that. What did you see? Trans, how did it transition through that? At the beginning of the pandemic, it was very uncertain, just like everything else, right? Uh, and we have to pivot and adapt to the new conditions. And it, uh, I, I must admit it took a, a few months, maybe three to four months before we fully adapted into it. And by that I'm talking, we were used to meeting in person and now the pandemic hits and how do we put investment opportunities in front of these investors when we don't have that opportunity to do it in person, right? Don't chide yourself, a three to four month to transition from being you know, in person to being online is not bad, yeah. especially after all these years of, yeah, if we can't see them, we can't touch them, we don't want to invest in them. So that, yep. that's a nice, that's a fast transition. Yeah, it, it was fairly fast. And again, coming back to how fortunate we are of being part of that bigger foundation, we moved into the, we office out of Velocity, Texas, which is the innovation center. And so uh, Velocity opened two weeks prior to everything starting, you know, like the pandemic officially starting. But the good news is it, it's got the state-of-the-art facility. You've been there, Jason. So we've got the cameras, we've got multiple cameras in a room, we've got the microphones, everything was already in place. So it, was, it just, what it did, it was accelerated our need to figure out how do you go and run fully virtual type of event, and that's kind of how we, how we went about it. Generally speaking, not just for Alamo Angels, but I think that there was a, there was a little bit of a transition from a mental standpoint as an investor, it used to be the case that you really wanted to see it, touch it, feel it. You know, like you, it was very uncommon for an investor to write someone a check unless they get to see him. How do they behave? How do they look like? You know, like those type of things are very important. And the pandemic did not offer that type of opportunity. And so those who are sophisticated and still want it and saw this as an opportunity to actually invest capital on in these new innovations, they had to adapt to that new environment and ended up investing, even though it was through a, through a screen. Right. And so we, we had to go through all of that. Long story short, uh, it did take some time, particularly at the beginning, at which at the same time we were still kind of uh, cleaning our own house. Right. We integrated with TRTF in 2020. So it was about the same time. It was just a few months uh, into the pandemic when we had to figure out how do we grow this thing and how do we structure it in such a way that it offers value. And so a combination of those, it was a, a little bit of a rough start. But then we started growing the membership with the right type of people because that's something else that you can see. I've experienced it in other groups that you go there and they, in some ways, they may be more like a social club than an investment uh, group. And so we really wanted to get away from that. We cleaned up the house. There were quite a few investors that, you know, they just, at the end of the day, they just didn't belong there just because they weren't there for the right reasons. And so we cleaned that up. We make sure that those that belong to the network were in fact those that wanted to write a company a check uh, and that's kind of how, how we approach this. With that, what we've seen is investment activity has gone up. To give you an idea, within the past 12 months, one out of the three companies that we feature during our pitch events gets funded. That was not the case when we first started. You know, it could have been two or three months before we see someone that actually wrote a check into one of the companies that got featured. And so it's been a, it's been a transition. 
Last year, we invested uh, a little over $600,000. Uh, this year, we are at a little over a million dollars. Uh, so I'm, I'm pretty sure that we're going to almost probably be double the size in terms of investment from what we did last year to this one. So I think it's been a, it's been a process. So you've got a lot of things happening at once there. I just want to kind of peel that back just a little bit because in general, we've seen 2021 had growth in venture capital angel investments in 2022 because of the economy on a national basis, we've seen pullback. Yeah. But you guys are seeing almost a doubling. Is that because you're seeing more opportunities? Is that because you have more angels coming in? Or is it just San Antonio is growing and the the country be damned, we're going to grow anyway. I think it's a combination of those three different factors. Number one, in terms of membership, like I said before, the, the more members you have, the more accredited investors belong to the group, the higher the opportunity for you to actually activate uh, an investment opportunity there. Number one. Number two, San Antonio and Texas in general is experiencing uh, fastly, it's rapidly expanding in terms of growth. And we're getting a lot of people that are uh, coming from different communities that are very sophisticated when it comes to this asset class. That was not the case 10 years ago, right? And so I think that that has helped. And then the last one is we've matured as an organization. And with that, we put a lot of processes in place that have yielded better quality companies. And with the high quality company that we put in front of the right investor, then you start seeing higher investment dollars. I have to assume that you're getting, whether it be our referral or just over the transom, a large number of potential investments. Are you seeing them in specific sectors? Is the sector mix kind of changing in the last couple of years? And not only in terms of what's coming in, but when you're doing your, your presentations to your members. On average, we get 30 applicants a month, unique applicants. Uh, and, and the goal is for us to feature three of them. And so there, there is quite a few that are knocking on our doors to, to come. It's been a combination of us proactively seeking those, that, that deal flow, um, as well as people just speaking to one another. You know, I, I always tell people it may seem like it's a big ecosystem, but it's not even nationally. There is companies that will know who Alamo Angels is, even if they are, even though they are in, in San Francisco. Right. And so they, they talk to one another and they kind of belong to the same ecosystem. And they kind of go and knock at different, the same doors and they hang out in the same places, same conferences and stuff. So once they identify that there is someone that is actively investing and that they are taking it seriously and that they've got a good process in place, then I think that starts generating some of those, that, that level of activity. And so I think we've experienced some of that. I, I think of one of our team members as, as a scout in some ways. So he's always scouting where are the best opportunities. And we try to establish good partnerships with these sources of deal flow that could potentially bring those high quality companies. Are you syndicating with other angel networks? Yeah. So one thing that we do is we actually take uh, the lead on coordinating an effort to unify all the different investment, angel investment networks in uh, Texas. There's about 16 of us that actively invest. There's, there's probably more than that, but the ones that are kind of like always on the know and, and actively investing are part of this. And so once a month we get together for the purpose of DL syndication. Wow. I don't think anybody would have, would have figured that they were at least 
16 different angel networks in Texas, yeah. as large as this state is, though. Yep. But that's great. With that growth, and and clearly, you guys coming online in, in the pandemic, and you're seeing the growth and everything else, it's not all roses. What are the biggest challenges that you see today in terms of the angel investor, the investor that's going in pre-institutional round? I think one one big roadblock that we um, still have to overcome is is from an educational standpoint. We're getting a lot of people that want to invest, a lot of people that are obviously accredited and have the resources to do it, but they don't necessarily know how to go about this. You ask them how to invest on the stock market, they'll know. You ask them how to do it on real estate, they'll know oil and gas, right? But when it comes to these specific asset classes, it's still very early on. And so we, we need to do a little bit of a job in terms of educating them. And for that, as soon as we get, I will qualify or I will divide, I guess, my membership in what I will say, up and coming investors and sophisticated investors, right? Sophisticated, they know they've got an investment thesis on their own. They are actively investing. They've been doing it for some time. Up and coming, they have a desire and the resources to do it, but they don't know how to do it. So my goal is to take that up and coming investor and turn it into a sophisticated investor in a year time frame. How, how do we do that? As soon as they sign up, we um, get them to go through an angel investing course. We partner up with a company out of New York that tells them all the in and outs. It's a highly intensive course, Monday through Thursday, two hours every single day. But at, as soon as they finish, then they'll have a better understanding of what 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 is this all about. And then from there on, every other month, we offer workshops with subject matter experts and topics of interest for investors. So that's our goal. And then just kind of in, uh, organically, um, kind of what happens is when they come to these pitch events, they get to see other sophisticated investors. We always look for opportunities to have conversations, networking, those type of things. I think they get, get to know one another and learn from each other as well. So, Obviously, we're an Austin-based podcast coming down, right, trying to learn more about San Antonio. But want to talk a bit about the interplay between the two metros. Where are you seeing investment flow? Are you seeing, or is there money coming from Austin down to San Antonio? Uh, San Antonio money in, in Austin companies, startups going back and forth. What is it kind of, you seeing the dynamic between the two? Uh, maybe 95% of our investors are from San Antonio. Uh, we've got a couple of them who are from Austin, maybe two or three to be exact. Where I see them, so from an investor standpoint, I think it's very localized. You know, our investors are from San Antonio. The deal flow, though, it's a different ballgame. We've, we've got quite a few companies that are coming from Austin to San Antonio, and quite a few of them have received investment from San Antonio into them, like the one that I was telling you, the um, key, it's the company called, out of Austin. We have partnered up with different places that have access to this well, we will consider high quality companies or at least companies that are ready for investment. And we try to offer office hours. We try to, you know, proactively ask for them to provide us with the companies that they believe will be a good fit for us. And that's kind of how we do it. So we've got a few, a few partners in Austin. And, and I will say that's the most where the most activity is coming from. So with the companies that, uh, and you've only been doing it for four years, but like the companies that are now reading Series A and getting into kind of venture um, investment size, is it coming from San Antonio? Is it coming from Austin, other places in Texas, or, you know, having to leave in terms of getting that, uh, that investment? A lot of times, because those are higher check amounts that they are seeking, they have to go and look in other communities. 
Uh, they we we've been able to participate, but not fulfill their major needs. And so, from a funding perspective, of course. And so, while we try to to get to that point, I don't think we are there yet. You know, once they get to that, that those levels, they need higher than the hundred thousand dollar or the, even the three hundred thousand dollar check that we've been able to write so far. But I'm curious when we think about again that, like the bridges between like San Antonio and Austin. Austin's VC environment is much mm-hmm. more mature. There's yeah. lots of dry powder. Are those companies that you guys are investing in that have reached Series A? Are they able to go to to Austin and tap into that VC community to raise, or are they having to go somewhere else? Oh, I see what you're saying. Uh, they they have, but I wouldn't specifically say that it's only Austin. I think this has been a nationwide type of approach. And like I said before, because of the pandemic, it used to be the case that if you're not able to, to raise in your own backyard, then other people wouldn't necessarily pay as much attention. I think that's changed tremendously. And so new opportunities have come about because of that. And they are very interconnected. They know who to talk to regardless of where, where they're coming from. So I wouldn't say just Austin. I think Austin plays a role, but I think it's more of a nationwide type of approach. Do you think Austin should play a larger role and be able to, as we see, you know, one of the conversations that kind of led to this, right, is how much VC capital needs to put down roots in San Antonio versus how much can San Antonio leverage what's, you know, 60 minutes north, right? Yeah. And so trying to build that that funnel and that connection, I think, is an important function that the two metros can play. Yeah. I mean, we keep talking about San Antonio and Austin as two separate communities today, but I think 10 years down the road, we're going to basically be talking of them as one in some ways. And so I think I think that's that's kind of what needs to start happening now, and it'll eventually happen. We're just so close to each other that I think uh, uh, opportunities will come up, and it, unless we 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 want to we don't want to grow together then 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 we wouldn't take advantage of those but i i don't think that'll be the case i think an example is this right you you've got an austin podcast coming to san antonio and not only interviewing me but somebody else from the community so i think those type of activities and those type of things will continue to happen and with that those collaboration opportunities should happen all across the board including funding so Yes, I think the VC from Austin should have a little bit more of a presence in the companies that are coming uh, from San Antonio and maybe even establish their presence here in San Antonio if they have a satellite office or something of that of that nature. And that's the question I was, is, is do they even need a satellite office? I mean, we, the point being that we're, you know, we, we came down this morning, two interviews going all around Port San Antonio. I promised my wife we'll be home by dinner. Is there a question of, do you need the feet on the ground every day versus, hey, I'm in San Antonio once a week. I'm in, you know, being able to actually build that connection and that bridge and what's along the way. I mean, we, we always talk about San Antonio and Austin and almost forget the corridor in between. I've been doing some stuff recently with, uh, you know, Texas State San Marcos and, and Star and what they're doing there, right? And so there's so many, I think, opportunities along and it's, I've done the Houston drive in one day and that's that's a bit more of, a, a, yep. of an ask, right? Versus I think, you know, San Antonio to Austin is a lot, lot closer. Yeah, there is nothing we can do about thirty-five, but I know that once, <laughs> once they fix that, that road, uh, this will become much more evident, right? I mean, we always say an hour and a, an hour and fifteen minutes to get from one, one uh, city to the other. That's assuming there is no traffic. I think once, once that gets away, I think this is going to be much, much smoother. 
I do still believe that having a presence, a physical presence in San Antonio, if you ask me today, I think that would be beneficial. If you ask me vision-wise, is that still going to be the case five or 10 years down the road? I think five or 10 years down the road, that won't necessarily be a huge need. But as of today, I think there's still some challenges that we need to overcome. The critical mass isn't quite there enough to be able to just go, I'm coming down on a random day and let's, yep. let's get it together. So what would be then today your biggest ask of the Austin innovation ecosystem? I think we just need to collaborate and, and be open to collaborate with, with, with each other. That's really it. And, I, and by the way, I've seen it. I don't think I've, I've never been in Austin and I've, I've never experienced uh, anyone closing the doors because we're coming from San Antonio per se. I think they're open to that. And I will also say that that's very much the case in San Antonio. I mean, one, one, I'm originally from Colombia, in case you're wondering where my accent is from. So I was born and raised there, and I, I was born in a, an, an environment where I, where I was used to saying hi to my neighbor when I saw him or her, right? Like, and asking how they are doing and just kind of being friendly and offering a helping hand. I've lived in four or five different cities in the U.S. in the 16 years that I've been here, and it was not until I came to San Antonio that I realized that this is the closest that I've ever experienced to home, right? To the, the warmth of people, that openness. I think people in San Antonio are super open to collaborate, very open to help, open to sharing their, their feedback, their opinions. And one thing that I love about this community, people are very accessible. And that's not necessarily the case in, in a lot of other places. Maybe even Austin, I couldn't tell you for sure, but the, typically the larger the, the city, the, the more difficult it is for you to access certain profiles of people. I still feel like here in San Antonio, it's fairly simple to do so. So as a founder, that's important, right? It's something that I feel parallels both Austin and San Antonio. While, you know, San Antonio, I think is now with the eighth biggest, seventh or eighth biggest city in the country. Uh, Austin is 11th. Um, obviously, when you look at the metros, it's slightly lower than that. But they are big cities that still have a lot of small town component to them, both one, there's lots of people who still know each other, even though you'd be like, if I was in New York, like, you people would never uh, interact yep. with each other in terms of your, st your strata. Uh, and then just history too. I mean, you know, people who've lived here for a long time. I mean, I, I've said this on the podcast a lot. It's always just blows my mind that, you know, my son's second grade teacher went to his elementary school. That doesn't make any sense to me, right? Yeah, yeah. You, especially being in, in, in transient, uh, you know, transplant towns, right? Yeah. You don't, you don't have that. So I think both cities kind of still have that flair while still being growth oriented, getting bigger, all the, the, the scale that comes with that. And I think that's an unheralded power to both uh, the entire region. Absolutely. And, and to me, that's a big benefit, like you said. I mean, you don't really get that in, in New York or Chicago or any of the, those other places. So that's it's a beauty. real strength of the culture here in it Texas. It really is. It really is. And we're very, we own the culture. I feel like we take ownership and pride of it. And again, I, I couldn't speak about Austin, even though I go there fairly often. I, I, I do have family that lives there. But but in San Antonio, it's just, I feel like the city has its own soul, right? Like it's very, again, I'm sharing this from a foreign perspective just because I was not born or raised in here. But I remember one time on my one of my first trips that I that I did here in the U.S., I really wanted to make it a point to go from at the time I was in West Virginia down to Miami. 
and and I was given the option, do you want to do it by, by car or in the airplane? And I said by car because I remember I remember in Colombia, if you travel by car, you get to experience so much. Like you get different sceneries, different type of shops, different way people dress, different way they speak and why not. And here, while you get a little bit of that, everything seemed to be the same, right? You always got the Walmart. You always got that, that big highway. You always like everything is kind of the same thing. But you go to places like San Antonio, you're like, oh, okay, this is cool. This is different, right? They've got their own their own identity to them. So I, I think that's super nice in a place like like this. So we always ask the same question, uh, but we're going to, for our road trips, we, we change it up a little bit. So what's next San Antonio? I think San Antonio is positioned, positioning itself to to take advantage of the big opportunities that are happening all over the place. It's not, it's not just Austin. Uh, Austin, I think, is the is the biggest one just because of the proximity. And there's so many good things happening in Austin, but with that growth, there is also some challenges, right? And so you'll start experiencing people getting tired of traffic and uh, affordability will become a challenge. I think it already is. And so people will start looking at, particularly those that, that come with a different mindset. You know, people from California or any other states that are used to driving an hour or an hour and a half is not is not so bad to them, right? You ask someone like your your son's school teacher, she may be like, no, I don't want to get away, right? Like she's kind of set on her own ways. And that may be cultural and, and it may be a virtue of the experience and the background that some people have. But as we grow, I think people will start realizing, hey, San Antonio is just down the road. Hey, San Marcos is just down the road. Like it's not even just San Antonio, but that whole corridor is going to bloom because of that. So I think that's an opportunity and one that we've not touched on so far is South Texas in general. I think South Texas, there is a huge opportunity uh, down south that nobody's really paying attention to and San Antonio is very well positioned to do so. I spent some time in Corpus Christi and I remember, you know, we were, as a community, we always thought of San Antonio as being kind of like that sophisticated city that you wanted to look up to, just because it seemed to be the, the biggest city closest to where you are. And so in some ways, you can look at that as that bigger brother or that bigger sister, right? That older sister. I think we can take advantage of that. And we, in fact, have access to a different flow of information, different experiences, different type of people. So I think as a city, we are well positioned to lead an effort on how do we make sure that the region, South Texas region, can can be a little bit more unified and now we can play as a region as opposed to just being little San Antonio or little Corpus Christi or little Rio Grande Valley, if that makes sense. I think in Texas none of this none of these cities are little anymore. <laughs> none of them are that little anymore, that's right. This has been fantastic. Sebastian, thank you for joining us on the Austin Next podcast. Thank you, Jason, for inviting me and hopefully you guys uh, got something out of this interview. So what's next, Austin? We're glad you've joined us on this journey. Please subscribe at your favorite podcast catcher, leave us a review, and let your colleagues know about us. This will help us grow the podcast and continue bringing you unique interviews and insights. Thanks again for listening, and see you soon.